I am going to share with you today the most serious message I've ever preached here in three years. And I want to ask that you give me your undivided attention today. I'm also going to ask that we don't have any comments during this because I really want to get this word out today. Um, I feel like today there's three groups of people in this room. And I want you to imagine there's this line being drawn in the sand. Now I feel the first group is this, this group will hear what I'm about to say and you've already bought into it. Maybe not fully, but you, you have made a conscious decision to cross this line. I feel the second group is on the other side of this line. And there's going to be a grace today to step into what I'm going to release this morning. And the third group, and I think this is the most dangerous group here, is there's this group in here today that you've straddled this line. And you're in, and you're out, and you're in, and you're out. And I believe what I'm going to release today, God wants to bring us all into. Um, and I'm going to try my best because I know I can talk very fast. I, I have one speed and it's fast. So I'm going to try to talk real slow and then not see my words because this word is a place I've been living at for the past year of my life. Um, it's a word that's been challenging me. Um, it's a word I really, I'm, I am giving my life to this thing I'm going to give you today. Um, you know, go ahead and turn to Acts 1.8. You know, I talk a lot about the supernatural. And today's sermon is not about the supernatural. And it's not on the Supreme Court's decision about homosexuality. That's not my sermon at all. I'm not even going to go there today. But I talk a lot about the supernatural, and I talk a lot about how that New Agers and psychics, they have counterfeited the supernatural. But there's also this, another counterfeit that's been taking place for many, many, many years. And this counterfeit comes out of radical Islam. And the counterfeit is called martyrdom. They blow themselves up for an ideology that is fake. And what I want to talk to you today about is this, becoming martyrs for the kingdom. That's one A, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit is upon you. And you should be my witnesses. Say that word witnesses with me. You shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, all Judea, and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Father, I pray for your grace today. Lord, I pray what I say. Holy Spirit, you would be on it. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would make my tongue like the pen of a ready writer. God, today I will speak your words and not just my thoughts. Lord, I need your anointing today. God, I pray as we as a body we hear this word, God, I pray it doesn't get stuck into our mind. Lord, I pray it takes root in our heart. 
And God, it begins to release life in our heart, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. The word of witness is a really unique word. The word of witness in the Greek is the word martyrs. And it's literally where we get the English word martyr from. Matter of fact, if you read the King James Version or the New Kings, and I think Acts 22 it is, Paul is giving an account of the stoning of Stephen. And it says in the New King James, or King James, it says, and there we stoned your martyr, Stephen. And you find out that the word martyr is the same word as witness. And so he's saying, you'll receive power, and you'll be my martyrs. I believe part of the, and filling the Holy Spirit, guys, is to live life fully, is to see the power of God displayed, is to walk free of sin. But there's also an empowerment of the Holy Spirit where you lay down your life. Now, let me just set some standards for what I mean here. And you shouldn't have to do this, but I'm going to do this anyway. When I'm saying becoming a martyr, I don't mean let's drop bombs to ourselves and go blow up Muslims. Or let's not go blow up homosexuals. I'm not even saying for you today to leave and get a passport and go to the most dangerous place on the face of the earth. And I'm not saying this. I'm not saying this is about killing your flesh. Because your flesh should be dead already. Paul never taught kill your flesh. Paul taught put off the deeds of the flesh. Big difference. But I'm not talking about that. Here is my message for today. Wherever he leads... I will follow. Wherever he leads me, I will go. I have said before many times, I'm going to say it again here. I know the Lord has been calling me to eradicate the word no out of my heart to him. Where I never had the right to say no to him ever again. We have no right to say no to him ever again. 1 Corinthians 6. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. You are not your own. Say that with me. Say, I am not my own. Ken was really true when he said what he said ago. Your life is God's. That has to become a reality we live from in this house. Because the day you said yes to Jesus was the day you gave him complete access to rule and to run your life. I wonder, I think about this a lot in this house and in my life. What would my life look like if he really had complete access to my heart? Because out of your heart flow the issues of life. So if he really has your heart completely, what could he do with you? What could you manifest for the kingdom? What exploits could you and I walk in if he fully had my heart? What Love could re-release the humanity that would shake and change humanity. 
just a thought. I'm not going to keep you long today. I'm not going to try to. But I think about this thought too about your life not being your own. I think about Abraham and how Abraham had left everything he knew. God called Abraham to leave his homeland and to look for a city whose builder and maker was God in. There Abraham left everything he had known because of the call of God on his life to become the father of a nation. I wonder how many in here today would really be in a place where the God calls you to uproot your family. You would take your family out of everything they've known to follow the call of God in your life. Think about that a lot. Could I pull up my wife and my son from what we know from my family? I live six miles from my parents. It's close. It's convenient. Hey, got pork chops. You want some? Be right there, Mom. Hey, we got cornbread. Oh, I'm on my way. I'm a fat boy. I like cornbread. You need to laugh, guys. It's going to be a deep. Jeff, you getting offended about that, son? Hey, it's okay, son. <laughs> hey, Jeff, we got chili casserole at my mom's house. You can go with me, son. But I think, could I, could I pull my wife and my son and leave everything we've known to go to a place where life won't be as easy? I think about missions a lot, because I've done a lot of missions trips. You know, it's one thing to go on your first mission trip. It's another thing to go on a second mission trip, and I've done 12 in the past 10 years. But it's another thing to leave your home for 10 days versus leave your home and never come back to it. And to go to a place, dirty, stinky, hot as hell itself. I've been to some places. I mean, I'm a fat guy again. I don't like the hot. You know, that's Ken. You know, that's what that little room we had in Gordon. I'm like, good Lord Jesus, where's the AC at, son? I'm a fat gringo. But I think about like my friend like Steve and Carolyn Schulich. Steve was an amazing worker in this factory in St. Louis. High up, great job, great benefits. And um, Steve went on a mission trip to India in the mid-90s. And he came home and he just started watching television. And every time he cut on the TV, it would be about India. And he said, I really feel God's coming to India. And so Steve left a job that paid great money, a house that was paid for, a, a lake house, a boat, an ice truck, and he loaded him and his wife up, and they went to this place in India called Chennai, India. And I've been there with Steve two or three times. The fourth largest city in India. And they've been there now for almost 20 years. Actually, they just relocated about first ago to Malaysia. But they worked in one of the nastiest, dirtiest places. Chennai was the very first place I went to on a mission trip. I remember we got there about 2 in the morning. And we got into the hotel, slept as best we could, and got up and went out for our very first outing in, in India. And I remember we left the city, and the city was massive, a huge city. And I remember we got about 10 minutes out of the city, and you see this large landfill. Just 
humongous landfill full of trash. And how the locals had took the trash and they made huts out of the trash. And they lived in these huts in the landfill. Well, then you would go to a leper colony. And these people who have become outcasts because they have this disease and Hinduism teaches, if you don't know this, there actually is a cure for leprosy. But most Hindus, when they contract it, they won't go get the medication because they teach in Hinduism that leprosy is a curse from one of the thousands of thousands of God. And instead of taking the medicine to get healed, they stay with their family as long as they can before a finger falls off or a nose falls off. I've, I've seen leprosies with no noses, no hands, no feet. And I see Stephen Kelly going daily to these leper colonies. And in India, you don't bury the dead. You burn them. So imagine this climate that never is cool. It's always hot or hotter with the stench of dead human flesh that you smell every day to go eat food that is hotter than I'll get out, to see chickens that they are skinning, and we saw this firsthand, that are turning green because they're going bad and know that you have to eat that. And Steve left everything in St. Louis, Missouri because he said that his life was not his own. And they didn't just stay in Chennai. They hit, I think, almost every state in India. And then they have Bible schools in India, Malaysia, and they fly back a lot from Malaysia to India, and they maintain the ministry in India because Steve understood that his life was not his own. Well, I can tell you about my friend Jack Karras, who also lived in India for four years and lived in Malaysia for four years, and Jack is a real statesman for missions. Jack is, if you saw Jack, he looks like a hell's angel. He is a, you, you've seen Jack, Nathan, you don't know about He's a big, burly dude with a big beard, drives a Harley Davidson. But won't, he's a teddy bear guy. But Jack, beat, shot, stoned, made so many converts in India that the local, the Indian government sent him a letter stating, you can never come back to India because you have converted two many souls. They've planted over 5,000 churches. Now Steve's wife can go back, but Steve can never get back in India. So what he's going to do is when he dies, they're going to take his heart and bury it in India because his heart's in India. Jack is a man who has laid down his life. And they get in dangerous situations as well. Do you remember where they were at, Rachel, with the bonfires? I can't, it's in North, anyway, they were, they were in North India. And the locals said, don't come, we're going to kill you. Big crusades going on, and every night they would destroy the soundstage and do all this stuff to try to reap the crusades. And the last night, one of the locals said he would sit on the stage and protect the stage and the PA system. And the local Hindus and Muslims took him off, and they beat him with a piece of wrought iron. 300 stitches in his head. And that night, last night, the police came and said, if you go, they will kill you tonight. Sure enough, they get there, about 5,000 locals, villages, big bonfires with the bottles full of gasoline ready to kill them. And the, the, the translator was so scared that he crawled off the stage with the mic and had his mic by the motorcycle so he could run when the riot broke out. 
Because he knew they were going to kill him. And he knew as a Christian, they would kill him as well. And I was hoping he was going to be here today. I, had my, I talked to my friend, Kelvin McDaniel. If you don't know Kelvin McDaniel, oh, he's my hero. He's my hero. <laughs> Kelvin got up. And Kelvin said, I've heard you come to kill me tonight. He goes, that's okay. Because even if you kill me, Jesus is Lord. About that time, this man in the bed begins to scream out. Some foreign language begins to scream out. And Kelvin looked, and the interpreter is now crawling back on this age on his hands and knees, and he's crying his eyes out. He's like, what happened? What happened? When Kelvin said what he said, the guy in the back who spoke out was the village leader. He was 81 years old. He was born blind. And when Kelvin said that, he got healed. Completely could see. And he came up on stage, the village leader did, and he got saved, and he led his entire village to Jesus that night. And that whole village got saved. Because one man stood in the face of death. That's a good story, guys. That's a good story. Because that's reality. And they get when they were ready to fly out, they went through customs, and one of the department of bureaus came to him and said, Let me tell you the story. She said, You were the first missionaries in there in 50 years. This was in the 90s when this happened. The last ones who came there were in the, in the 40s. They were British missionaries. And this same village took the body and they chopped it up. And they spread it out as a witness to Hinduism. The gospel would never come there. Well, the gospel came there. And that whole village got saved. Because somebody understood that their life was not Listen, I realize that many of you in here will never go to overseas. And many in here will never be faced with death. But even in that, your life is still not your own. And in that, you still have to make the decision that I will die to myself. I will die to my plans, my dreams, my paycheck. Because my life is not my own. You remember going on a mission trip? You go to Afghanistan. You know, I think, I like history. Today's a special day for, well, not for me, it, it is, it just, it's a day that God used in my life. Today is the 10th anniversary of what was called Operation Red Wing. Somebody know what that is? If you saw Lone Survivor, which again, I don't watch, I don't watch many movies, I just, I really guard what I watch. I'm just, nothing against what you guys do, but I'm just, I had to protect my heart. But I feel like that was going to be a tool that God was going to use in my heart with nations. Because I, I just know my clients and nations. And so, if you, never, if you saw the movie, today is the, actual, today is the day of that anniversary. Today is the day those four nemesis went into Afghanistan and were ambushed because of the goat herds and they died. I think about people like Mike Murphy, the lieutenant on the mission. Of how in order to get a rescue in there, the, the comms wouldn't work. I, I read the book for Rachel got me the book and the book is 400 pages. I've read it in two days, three days. And the book just gives a lot more details than the movie does. And you read how Mike Murphy would actually take his sat phone and actually go on that bridge and make that phone call to get that stretcher so his guys would live. He laid down his life so his guys could live. Man, that just rocks me, guys. 
that rots me about people who will selfishly lay down their lives so others can have life. And I wonder, I'm too embarrassed about my faith at times. I wonder in here today how many would say, I'm embarrassed about my faith. I don't want to be embarrassed about my faith. When I look at ISIS taking Coptic Christians and blowing their, you're saying, no, they're not beheading them now. You're saying, you now they take bombs and they put them on their neck and they blow their heads off now. Christians. And I wonder how many here are just too ashamed to share your faith with somebody else. Last week was the best Father's Day of my life. Because I got home and had a great meal and I was in the middle of a great nap. Oh, it was so good. And the doorbell rang. I'm like, who is at my doorbell? And it was three Mormon missionaries. I was like, oh, yes. Thank you, Father. And I got to love on Mormon missionaries for an hour. And we got to talk. And I got to give them the gospel. Because you understand, guys, the Mormon God and our God is not the same God. You understand that, don't you? You understand that their God that they call Jesus, their God was a man who became a God. That's the foundation between Christianity and Mormonism. It does this in the beginning. It splits. It doesn't go down the line and split. It splits in the beginning. And to sit there and tell these three young guys who are on their two-year journey. Because when you're a Mormon, when you turn 18, you leave for two years. And you might be in Alabama. God help you. I don't know why you came to Alabama. Come on. Dude, at least go somewhere cool. Not, Alabama, not hating Alabama. I mean, you're almost in Nyota. <laughs> but I thought, man, these guys or living a lot of deception. And yet they're so passionate that they'll be out in Alabama heat telling you about the Book of Mormon. And to sit there and say, guys, I love you, but let me tell you the gospel. And to look people in the eye and say, you are in danger because you're deceived. And one guy said, I might call you back and talk to you a little more about this. That was the best one day. Because I want... Jesus died for I want my life to live it, not just in speech, but in demonstration of how I walk my life out. Tell Rachel this yesterday. The Lord's been speaking to me a lot about removing from me the fear of death. Now, I don't fear dying driving down the road or in an airplane. That's not that all, but many years ago, the Lord, the Lord spoke and said, I want to give you a nation. I want to give you Sudan. I thought, ooh, Muslims, no thank you, God. And I remember being, even when I was in the Philippines four, four or five years ago, just the fear of being in the Philippines, because we were in the, we were on Mindanao, which is the one of the main islands where Muslims work at, and they had kidnapped an American on that island I was on. I was like, oh, wow. Let's get on home, guys. I feel the Lord said this to with. But even in that, I want the fear of death to be gone. Well, I can boldly proclaim the gospel, whether it's out here in these streets or in a land where they would kill me, because my life is not my own. I hope I'm stirring some of you up. By the way, let me just say this, I'll move on. You understand that ministry doesn't destroy marriages. Ministry doesn't destroy kids. Ministry just begins to expose 
problems that haven't been dealt with in a marriage. That's why when you do ministry as a family, man, you better be healed. Because ministry will throw everything at you to expose what's in your heart. And I hear people blame it. Well, the ministry doesn't know. You didn't take care of your crap. why I'm believing in inner healing. That's why I do inner healing once a year. Why? Because I don't need anything in my heart to circumvent or destroy what God's wanting to do in my life. Because I don't have pride about my issues. I'm human. I have issues. Ask my wife. She'll tell me a lot about it. She'll tell me. I do. I want to be whole, man. Luke 14. I'm on the screen. Now Lord's crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, If any man comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children, brother and sister, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, who when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if, it has, if he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Or else when the other one is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then none of you can be my disciples who does not give up all his own possessions. Now, let's understand this, guys. The issue here is not a family or possessions. That's not the issue. The issue is when these things have you. It's nothing wrong with having a wife, a mother, because God ordained marriage, God ordained childhood, God said, have a job, pay your bills. The issue is when these things have you. Nothing wrong with making $25,000 a month as long as they don't have you. Because me understand this, that an idol isn't only something that you bow down to on purpose. An idol is anything that you allow yourself to keep you from doing what you're called to do. If you allow your job to keep you from God's purpose, your job is an idol. If you allow your wife to keep you from God's call, if you allow your wife is your idol. If you allow your son to keep you from going, your son's an idol. God rebuked me this year and said, your son's becoming an idol. I was like, oh, God. Why? Because I was getting invitations like crazy. Now, granted, a lot of them are Facebook, and I don't take Facebook invitations because they probably just want to just try to kidnap you for money. I'm like, dude, I'm from Alabama. I don't have money. All you can do is eat me. Just barbecue the fat guy. You know, I, I don't have, I'm not Donald Trump, dude. But there were times when I would see invitations, I wouldn't even look at them. I would just trash them. Why? Because I didn't want to leave my son. My son became my idol. I allowed my son to keep me from the calling of my life. Why? Now, I've told this part of my story before. I grew up without a father. I had a father. He was a good father, but he was a, a coal miner. Never saw my dad. 20 years of my life, I saw my dad on Sundays and in the summertime. That was it because he worked third shift. I never saw my dad. And I did not want my son growing up without a father. 
I realize, man, I'm making my son an idol to me. Because I want to spare him the pain I went through in life. And then I remember hearing Randy Clark, year four last at VOA, Voice of the Apostles. Randy was talking about his own ministry. If you don't know his story, Randy was a pastor in the 80s who wasn't doing much. Small church in St. Louis, maybe 40, 50 people. Real hungry. He was a Baptist who got spirit-filled and was just wanting more of God. And God really touched his church, and it was still a small church. And Anyway, in 1983, he met a man by the name of John Wimber. John Wimber was the founder of the Vineyard Movement. John Wimber was the cutting-edge ministry at the time. He was the one who really brought kingdom to the forefront. How to, what is the kingdom of God? How does it look? How do you operate in it? So Randy began to build a relationship with John. And about 10 years later, in 1994, Randy was scheduled to a church in Toronto. It was the uh, Toronto Vineyard Christian. It was a four-day event. January 20th, 1994 was the date. And Randy went, and Holy Spirit fell. And they went for 15 years straight. Didn't miss a service. Now, here goes Randy from making donuts. He was, he was a pastor who made donuts. Cool job, you made donuts, your pastor. To a guy who now really was now traveling all over. I mean, all over the nations. He was in high demand. I remember Randy talking about having young kids at the time. And he said, I learned this prayer. He told us this prayer. He said, This is what I would do is I would get ready to leave my house, and my kids were two or three years old, and I would be gone for weeks at a time. And he said, God, I'm serving your son. Watch over my son. And God graced him to have sons that grew up loving God and not hating the ministry and not hating the father because they understood that what he was doing was important. And with my son, I want my son to realize I don't hate God because my daddy's not here. I love God more because he chose my daddy. And I don't want us to make our jobs or our families idols, guys. And I'm not saying anybody here has done it, but I know for me personally, I made my son an idol. And I cannot do that because honestly, the best place for my wife and my son is when I'm in the will of God. That's the truth. The best place for you and your family is when you're in the will of God. The most dangerous place for your family is when you're out of the will of God. Especially as a husband, the covering the house. Because man, it's just open access. Am I, is this making sense? You don't want to stone me, do you? Second part of the verse, First Corinthians, he says, you have been bought with a price. Bought. It actually means to redeem back. I wonder what would happen if the thought of being redeemed sunk into us. Man, what all we were redeemed from. You were redeemed from death and hell and destruction. Every one of us. What if that sunk into what we were redeemed from? Luke 7, I tell you, her sins and their many have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who's forgiven little shows only a little love. I wonder if perhaps we don't live with a reckless abandonment is because we don't understand what all we have been set free from. Guys, you have been set free from all things. And even today, it's just a song. 
no longer a slave of fear. Man, that was so good to hear. I am no longer a slave. Not that I live in fear, but the fear of dying for the gospel, man. So I believe, I believe Psalms 37.4, or Psalms 34.7, the angel of the Lord encounters on those who fear him. But the tension is this, 2 Timothy, that all who live godly in Jesus will suffer persecution. Do I want to suffer persecution? No, I don't. I don't like pain. But you know what? I want to be salt. I want to be light. I'm not going to run from it either. Amen, Paul. That's good preaching, Paul. That's, that's a good word, Paul. Really encouraging today. Thank you, Cody Bibby. I like that, man. I like you, Cody. Listen to this. We're listening to 12. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life, even when faced with death. I am convinced, I am convinced, the reason they did not love their life to death because they were so in love with him. Their love for him was so much greater than their love for their own life, and therefore they could gladly lay down their life. You know, you look at the book of Acts, and there's all these great miracles that happens in the book of Acts. But can I tell you this, that the book of Acts actually records more persecution than does miracles? On the screen, look, Acts 4, Peter and John is put in jail. Acts 5, they're back in prison. Acts 6, Stephen is seized. Acts 7, Stephen is stoned. Acts 8, Saul has letters to put people in prison. Acts 9, Paul has now been saved. Paul is converted. Now Paul is running for his life. Acts 12, James is killed and Peter is back in prison. By the way, let's start right there. Peter's in prison. Angel comes, knocks Peter from the head. Peter's out of prison. He's walking through the city, and then what happens? The city gate opens for him. I think it's in the Bible still. Let me check. Yeah, it's in the Bible. You're Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against you. Peter was fulfilling prophecy right there. When Peter walked that gate, that gate opened for him. Why? Because the gate needed the authority on Peter's life. <laughs> he wants to free you with such authority. Listen, I'll tell you another story right quick. Kelvin McDaniel. Kelvin was in um, uh, Morocco. Strong. The north of Africa, Morocco, Tunisia, Libya, Egypt. Strong. Radical as long presence. Kelvin was in uh, Morocco preaching in that village, and they, they started rioting, and they began to actually crush the car he was in. Like coming down, and they were crushing it, and they got away. And um, the village police came, and they took his passport. And they said, you are under trouble in Islamic law, and you will be going to jail. By the way, Malaysia, if you convert a, a, a Muslim in Malaysia, is a minimum four-year jail sentence. <laughs> you better know you call in Malaysia. So Kelvin's in Morocco, and they have his passport, and he is in serious trouble. He's like, I can't leave the country. I don't have my passport. What am I going to do? All of a sudden, the next day, this little four-year-old kid comes running to Kelvin and has his passport with him. Now, how does a four-year-old kid go to the police station and get a passport? It was an angel, I think. Acts 12, Peter, the gate opens. Hey, Kelvin, here's your passport. Kelvin got his passport. Went to the airport, left his luggage, and flew out home. I don't blame him, dude. 
Because Jesus said, it's in the Bible, if they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. First thing Kelvin told me on missions, Paul, Jesus said this, they persecute us, we're going to flee. I say, I got on my tennis shoes, Kelvin. Let's go. Anyway, I digress. Acts 14, Paul is stoned. Acts 16, Paul and Silas is in prison. Acts 17, the house adjacent is attacked. Acts 21, Paul is arrested again. And this verse gets me, Acts 5. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing. Rejoicing. They had rejoiced that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame. For example, we have a flat tire, we lose it. God, why is this happening to me? God, what's the devil doing? No, your tire went flat because you had a nail. We, I'm going to pick up Lee Bones' sermon. I'm going to, I'm going to, I got the Elmer Foot anointing. I'm going to chase a rabbit. You know, Elmer Foot chased rabbits. That was a joke that he didn't get it. Anyway. But we over-spiritualize things so bad in our lives. It's the devil. It's the devil. No, it's not the devil. You know, I ask people. People come to me and say, I have issues with the devil. And I have two questions for these people. And the first one, they usually just, the first one gets them. Because they realize what they're they're saying. You know, people say, you know, man, the devil's just tearing our family up. This and that. And I'm thinking, okay, so here's my question to you. What are you doing now for the devil to attack you? And they say, hmm, nothing. And then I ask this question. So what have you opened yourself up to to let the devil attack you? Because the devil's not going to attack if you ain't doing it for the kingdom. And most people who want to spiritualize their dysfunction, they ain't doing nothing for the kingdom. It just ain't happening. The devil is not omnipresent and he's not all-knowing, but he will mess with people who's messing with his kingdom. And if you ain't messing with his kingdom, maybe he ain't nowhere near you because he's got bigger fish to fry than you. Let's just get that one straight. Because I am so sick of the spiritual destruction we do in the church. Well, we want to intercede because things are happening. Listen, intercession is not to happen on defense. Intercession is to keep things from happening. And we always want to intercede after things happen. That's dumb. You intercede to keep things from happening. Jeremiah gave an example. Or Ezekiel. There was on the temple in Jerusalem what he called was a watchman. And he worked with the gatekeeper. And the watchman would look to see what was coming to the city. And he would tell the gatekeeper to either open the gate or shut the gate. He didn't wait till he got there to, to open the gate or close it. He had the watchman saying, hey, there's this thing coming. Close the gate. And we wait till all hair breaks loose. And then we want to go pray. That's the dumbest thing we do in the church. How about you pray before things happen? Paul, you get him? Yeah, I am. Because all the Christians on Friday, all dead gummit, the Supreme Court. Oh, my Facebook feed's blowing up on Friday from people who never show their faith. Oh, judgment's coming. This is coming. I'm like, dude, shut up. You don't even share your faith with people. You have no right to talk because you were not starting light. Yes, this is a button I'm pushed on. Thanks, Lord. (sighs) 
it's just, we live so far below what Jesus paid for. We don't utilize the gifts of the Spirit like we should. We use them to feed our own flesh and make ourselves look good instead of using them to advance this kingdom. Guys, we got to make a shift. We've got to make a shift in how we do everything in this house. Let me, let me back up. Rewind that. I am making a shift in my life. Because I do not want to be blindsided by the devil, by anything. You can tell what I get passionate about. Because I start speaking fast and my face changes like an incredible hulk. You know, Graham Cook said this years ago, and I'll never forget it. He said, he said, you know what you're called to by what you're passionate about. He said, you know what you're called to think by what agitates you. And what agitates, what agitates me more is apathetic Christianity. It chaps my backside. It just uh, I'm just being blunt, guys. Yeah, you know, if you don't like it, call Lee. I will give Lee the audio myself. I don't care. Because this thing is real, and lives are in the balance. And we just don't care that people would go to a hell. Because, well, it just, we don't want to offend them. Listen, Jesus is love, but Jesus also made a whip and whip people. Jesus also flipped over tables in the court that, well, I mean, here's the problem. Our Jesus and this Jesus, they just don't match up. God is love. Yes, he is love. God doesn't manifest love. He is love. But love will tell people, you are deceived. You're living a lie. You're living below what he died for you to walk in. And yes, you do it in love. And I can tell you this, those Mormon guys, man, they were loved. Because you know what I even did? I said, I want to repent to you for the way the church has treated you. Because most of members, huh, you're a cult, you're going to go to hell, you're dead. I mean, just no love, man. I've had Mormons tell me that. I've had Mormons tell me, I had the interview with some Mormons, they said, you were the first Christian we ever met who actually loved us, who made us feel human. You didn't degrade us. I've had Mormons tell me that. Because we're super spiritual Sermons really went to 180. I want to just look at a thought from Samson's life because there's a verse I want you don't put that up yet, Nathan, about Samson. No, no, yeah, take it out, play it out. Surprise. But I want to just look at this thought from Samson right quick. Samson was called as a Nazarite. And his, his job was to destroy the Philistines. That was his assignment, was to destroy the Philistines. And in Judges 16, you find out that he finds a prostitute named Delilah. And Samson becomes entangled with the very thing he's called to defeat. She's a Philistine, and he has a relation with her. He's actually about to, he loved her. He loved the very thing he's called to defeat. And I wonder in here, how many of us will be honest and say, I have entangled my heart with a thing I'm called to defeat.
Just the honest question for us to ask. I ask myself a lot of questions. Why? Because I do not want to deceive myself. Let me tell you this. The greatest form of deception in the church today is self-deception. You think you are somewhere you're not. Because people want to hear the truth. Well, most people don't like the truth. I don't want to be deceived. And so Samson gives his thing, himself to the very thing he's called to defeat. And you know, Samson has a real issue. Because when she begins to ask Samson, what is the secret of your strength? The very first time she lied to him and tries to bind him up, Samson should have left him. Samson is not a smart guy. If my wife were done that, I would leave town. Kidding, baby. I love you. You won't do that. But I'm thinking, Samson, dude, she is trying to destroy you. And yet you stay. And I wonder how many times in here, people here, let's be honest, how many in here have been destroyed by things and yet we still stay with it? Why do you do yourself that way? Why do I allow myself to do things that destroys me? No. And Samson stays with Delilah. And if you do this, I'll lose my strength. And if you do this, I'll lose my strength. And if you do this, and finally, Samson says, if you cut my hair, I'm going to lose my strength. By the way, Samson was not strong because he had long hair. Now, we teach that. Samson was not strong because he had long hair. Samson was strong because the long hair represented the covenant he had with God as a Nazarite. And when the hair was cut, the covenant was broke. And therefore, his strength left. But guess what? The hair began to grow back. That's good news, guys. There's grace to step out of where you are into what this thing is God's calling us into. There's grace. And it's sad because Samson lost his eyesight. He got his eyes gouged out. When you play with sin, guys, it's going to gouge your eyes out and you can't see where you're going. It's going to blind you. That's why Jesus said the blind lead the blind. And he was so, yeah, that's a good point, Rachel. He, you know, he said, I will arrive and I will shake off. And the Bible says he did not know that the spirit of the Lord had left him. He was dull. He didn't know God had left him. That is a scary place. To not know the peace of God, the principle, but to, to think that God's there because of, and to realize and to awaken was God has left. But thank God that the hair grew back and the grace is there. Here's the verse I want you to look at. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he bent with all his might so that the house fell on the Lord's and all the people who were in the house. Now look at this. Look at this. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he killed in his life. He killed more when he died than he was alive. When we live a life of death, we're going to have access to the power of God. He killed more at his death. Come to Jesus and die. Come to Jesus and die. That's the message. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ now lives in me. Oh, man. 
I no longer live. Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Go ahead and that slide. John Keith Fountainer, a missionary in the 1850s, said this. I have but one candle of life to burn. And I would rather burn it out in a land filled with darkness than a land flooded with light. What are you doing with your life today? What are you doing with your life today, guys? We started with Acts 1 8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. I've been praying this prayer this week. It's an easy prayer. I'm going to teach you this prayer. Lord, baptize me in your liquid, fiery love. Because God is love. And there's nothing greater than to be baptized in his love. Because when you truly are baptized in his love, you can lay your life down. Greater love has no man in this than to lay down his life for his friend. True love empowers you to lay down your life, guys. True love empowers you to go wherever he sends you and not worry about it because you realize your life is not your own. Guys, if you want your life back, that's fine. You take your life back. But I don't know why you're here. I don't. I'm telling you, the line has been drawn in the sand. Me and Lee actually had this discussion a week ago about the separation coming in the house and how some people will just keep moving on with what God's doing here and others will fade off. I pray to God nobody will fade off and fall back. But guys, the decision is yours this morning. The decision to lay down your life is yours. I realize this has been a really strange message. Pray I communicated it well. I want to just pray today for people.